Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. For today's incredible conversation, we had the opportunity to sit with Colorado therapist Pierre Bouchard. Pierre is a psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. He works with ketamine. He works with somatic practices. He is such a dynamic human being and just a whole wealth of wisdom and information and, and knowledge came out of this podcast. It was truly a great one. We, I know that you guys are going to really enjoy diving into this one. Pierre is such a loving, beautiful, and open and awake spirit. And I know you guys will feel his spirit in our conversation. And at the end there, if you guys stick with us, we spoke about conscious sexuality, which really fed my soul. It was an amazing way to round out everything. So I can't wait to share this episode with you guys. And with that pretty mental family, take in a deep breath with us. And tune in. We would love to give a shout out to our first sponsor, Awaken Village Press, an indie publishing house here to awaken the planet one book at a time. Awaken Village believes that everyone has a story to share and they work with brand new authors to help birth their books out into the world from the idea stage to the publishing stage. Awaken Village Press guides you from beginning to end. And they actually have a five-month container opening up on August 7th where they will be walking a group of brand new authors and writing their next book. So all you have to do is show up and they will guide you the rest of the way. And they have an amazing special for our Pretty Mental family. If you guys email in the subject line, put Pretty Mental and email hello at awakenvillage.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at A-W-A-K-E-N-V-I-L-L-A-G-E dot com. They will give you guys $100 off your participation. So if you have ever wanted to write a book, this is the time. Jump in and then let us know because we want to read it. Our words are our medicine to ourselves and to others. We'll put all the info in the show notes if you guys are interested. Before we jump into the episode, we want to highlight our sponsor, Conscious Conversion, recently known as Resonate with Sarah. Conscious Conversion is a holistic multimedia marketing agency for thought leaders of the new paradigm. 
We love them because their main mode of operating, which also filters out the clients they bring on, is making sure that the message is in alignment with your mission in the world and that your mission in this world is in alignment with where the plan is heading right now, that your mission is here to help awaken the planet and move evolution forward. Whatever your offering is, they use Google, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram ads to cut through the clutter of the internet and amplify your message on a massive scale. They also offer organic social media, copywriting, and so much more. We'll link their website in the show notes if you guys are interested in more information. We highly suggest you check them out if your ears perk up when you hear this. And now back to our episode. It is July 12th, 2021. We open up the space calling in our guides calling in our angels, our ancestors, our higher selves, and all those walking the journey with us. We open up this space for conversation of deep healing, deep transformation, a conversation of heart opening. We open up the space for whatever messages want to come through, for the highest healing of ourselves, for our community, everyone they come in contact with, and for the highest healing of the planet. We meet this space with love. The portal is now open. Mm. <laughs> Pierre. Yeah. <laughs> we are so excited to have you join us in this conversation today. Mm, good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So we've been trying to get Pierre on for a minute. Um, ever since he first came on as a guest for my psychedelics psychedelics today course that I took on integration for clinicians. Um, yeah, you came on as a guest and you were talking mm. about uh, psychedelic psychotherapy and how you incorporate music and all that. And I was like, Oh my God, we, it would be amazing to get him on the podcast one day. And here you are. So super <laughs> are, happy about doing it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't mind, uh, if you could just introduce yourself to our community. Happy to. Yeah. So my name is Pierre Bouchard. I'm a licensed professional counselor in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, I'm a somatic psychotherapist with a practice focusing on doing uh, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. I primarily treat trauma and depression, but also a host of other things as well. And in addition to all that, I also work very part-time as a professional DJ. So I, I take the selecting of music for psychedelic therapy very seriously. And it's something I, I really like to write about as well. Mm. That's amazing. That's, um, I feel like I've been getting more into that, just how... It would be so cool to be able to, you know, incorporate music into the the therapeutic experience just because there's something about it that just, I mean, I guess the energies and the frequencies of it allows us to transport into deeper places. It's a whole journey on its own if you know how to curate that. Mm. Yeah, and, and with, with psychedelic work in particular, um, you know, people's psyches are so open that selecting well can really support the process of them going deeper into themselves. 
There's something so powerful about music in journeys. I guide my breathwork sessions with music as well. And the music, I also listen to the words, the frequencies, the energy, the vibration, because it carries the the trip. So it, it really has such a, a big part to do with the trip and how it guides you. And I actually remember on the second time I ever did ayahuasca. So if you've ever done an ayahuasca session, you know that the shaman sings and guides you throughout the journey. And there was a part where he stopped singing. And I remember when he stopped singing, I felt like I was floating in in the space of limbo, a space of hell. So there's something so powerful to, to those frequencies that really support you and guide you through that trip. Truly, truly, truly. Yeah. And I find, you know, there's lots of ways to think about the music. And I've written a little bit about this, but there's lots I could say, so <laughs> I won't just jump in, but to say, you know, I think one of the things that's so beautiful about offering music and selecting well for psychedelic therapy is that not only you're supporting a process deepening, I would say, you know, one of the joys of doing psychedelic assisted psychotherapy is that, you know, there's a window of time in which people are just really open, you know, when they're on the medicine, more so than they are normally. That's sort of what we're harnessing here. And so in that, if you're selecting in attunement with what's happening for the client, you can really help them deepen into an emotion that maybe they haven't felt so much in their life. So, you know, sometimes I have guys in my practice who are, you know, a little more on the rigid side and they start to open into some really deep feeling. And, you know, if I can play some sorrowful cello, it can really help them, you know, deepen into their, their sorrow in a way that's often for them quite new. And that's just one example. It could go in many directions from rage to joy, uh, wonder. You know, these are all things that I think uh, we can have a curiosity and a practice around uh, with music to to expand into, you know, and and what we end up offering in this, you know, is that uh, it's like we're, we're offering an education into experience where you're helping someone really learn that they are what they are is much bigger than maybe they thought they were and the range of who they can be in themselves in an experience is much greater and that's a that's a deep education it's so exciting that our field is finally like really moving in this direction i'm at a point now also in my practice where i'm just like options options alternatives and there's actually a ketamine clinic that has opened up here in atlanta Mm. and i started actively referring more clients to them especially the clients for whom psychotherapy on its own is not going to do it uh there's just there's something the psychedelics the way that they are able to interrupt the default mode network allows for that uh healing to happen so much faster and on on that note could you help our audience understand, you know, what ketamine is and what's going on with ketamine, how it's being used in our field, in your work in particular. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So yeah, right. For your listeners who aren't familiar, ketamine is a, an anesthesia. It's It's a type of dissociative anesthetic. It doesn't depress the nervous system the central nervous system, which is something about it that's really great. So this was developed, I believe, in the 60s and started to be used on humans in the early 70s. And as far as anesthesias go, it's very safe because it doesn't depress the central nervous system. It was actually used as sort of like a buddy drug 
in Vietnam and where soldiers could give it to their to other soldiers if they were wounded and waiting waiting to be medevaced out um, where they would they'd be sort of sedated without it also you know without them being in danger physically and it was and it was it's also been used a lot in, in medicine with children at least that you know that was one of the ways it's been used and uh, this is how we started to learn something about its sort of psychedelic properties is that you know children would be coming back from out of it out of the anesthesia saying like oh i you know and since they're already so open you know uh say like oh i was playing with unicorns and you know for them it wasn't so uh, upsetting you know they're just having a psychedelic experience and having sort of this interesting dreamlike experience um and that started to cue people in to the fact that there's a there is a visionary psychedelic component to this anesthesia and uh, from there, there started to be some research ar- around and people started just realizing anecdotally that folks with depression started noticing a lift in their depression after, after an experience with ketamine. And from there, a, you know, a large body of research has been developing. And in the last 20, 10 years, there, that's really exploded. And what's lovely is that ketamine is legal now. It's never not been legal. You know, it found its way into the party scene. And as I, <laughs> I can just say, as a therapist who uses this in a clinical setting, it's a total shock to me that you can, you can party with this. It so doesn't seem like a, a party drug to me. But I'm sure plenty of people would argue with me on that. In terms of its clinical use, there's a number of different ways in which ketamine is currently being used. There's sort of three big ones that I can speak to. The first one, which is probably the most common one, is what we call sort of more of like an infusion style. So this is where people would go to a clinic. They're often run by, you know, retired anesthesiologists, and they hook you up to an IV, and you're often in a room with several other people. You get hooked up to an IV, you put on, I don't even know if you put an eye mask or what they, what they do with you there, but they hook you up, you have an experience for 40 minutes, and then they sort of send you on your way. And this model is very much one of using just the brute force of the chemical ketamine to create some positive change. And oftentimes people notice that after an experience with ketamine in this way, that they have a reduction in their depressive symptoms for two to four weeks. And so oftentimes what happens is people end up going back. They sort of find this window, like what's the longest they can go without ketamine? And then before noticing a dip and then people sort of start creating a schedule where before that, right before that dip seems to occur, you know, whether it's three weeks or whatever, uh, they go in for another ketamine infusion. And this is really the most common way that we're seeing ketamine being used right now. It's one that really fits into sort of the medical model of understanding what mental health is. And this is very much a model of treating symptoms. Another way of working with ketamine is really this has to do with sort of the dosing and the route of administration. So what I mean by that is, so this is what we've just talked about is, this is an IV administration. Another thing that we're seeing being used is sort of using ketamine in a more uh, psychedelic way, where they receive an intramuscular dose, sort of, you know, uh, where the ketamine sort of injected into their shoulder, into the client's shoulder. And, you know, they're laying down in a comfortable room. 
maybe some, you know, and often this is sort of more into the realm of sort of clinical work where someone's playing a playlist for them, the music's relatively soothing, they have an eye mask on, and it's a, it's a substantial dose of ketamine. So in this style of work, they are, uh, like I said, laying on a couch or in a comfortable seat, and it's a substantial dose. And, you know, this is sort of the realm of where we see, you know, people, I think, talking about what a K-hole is, you know, in sort of in, in recreational setting where people have a, a relatively significant out-of-body experience, you know, time stops being so meaningful, space stops being so meaningful. You're really, you're really out and having a, a deep visionary experience that for many people can be quite transpersonal. And there can be a lot of value in that, you know this way of uh, being so outside of your normal mind that you're getting some, some important download. And we're seeing that that can have a really profound effect on people. And particularly when someone is suicidally depressed, a couple doses like that in a short period of time can often really bump somebody out of a suicidal depression and into more of a, uh, a working window where therapy all of a sudden can be more useful. So it's a, it's a lovely use of ketamine. This still isn't what I'm doing, but this is, this is one of the other ways that ketamine is being used. And it's, uh, I, I think, a, a wonderful tool that we have access to. The way that I'm using ketamine and uh, a number of other practitioners are using ketamine in the field is with a lower dose of ketamine. And so this is what we're, talk what we're talking about here is we describe as psycholytic this is a term that Stan Groff came up with in the 60s around working with LSD, actually. So we're mixing the word psychedelic and analytic and blending it together, psycholytic. And this is a style of work where somebody's having an altered experience. They're opened up and, you know, they're very much having a non-ordinary experience. But it's not so great. It's not so deep. It's not so powerful that, they're, that their psyche is being totally fragmented into an ego death experience where they're not aware they're in, in the room anymore. You know, there's still, there's still a sense of self. There's still somebody here, although they are quite altered. And from there, we're able to use, use that window of time to do deep psychotherapy work. And that's really what I specialize in doing is using that window of time with people to, um, I do three hour sessions where we are we're deepening into this process with the ketamine and they're using that openness to approach aspects of their psychology that have been challenging to approach in other ways or that there's something about being opened and softened and expanded in this way where all of a sudden they just have natural access to things they haven't had access to before. Uh, and that can look a number of ways, you know, depending on what, what's, what type of thing we're, we're working on. But what I've seen over time with that is that, you know, I have, I have a strong clinical bias that I'm not interested in just treating symptoms. I want to I go to the root and heal the, the cause of the wound. And so this is, this is a style of work that allows us to do that, where we're getting really to the root of things, the real heart of the, the original wounds that the people have that create some of the, you know, distress they've had later on in life. And over a period of time with that, with the ketamine in this way, I've really seen people uh, make a tremendous amount of progress and become free of 
some very painful, painful wounds. I would love to hear about the transformations that you have seen happen, if you can share that. And then also just your journey to finding ketamine. And was it something that played a huge role in your own healing? Or was it, you know, because you started seeing the effects that it can have on people that you decided to integrate it in your work? Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe I can say a little bit about some of the, a little more about some details of, of what some of the work has looked like. And uh, we can get into that if you like, to that other piece. So I've got, I have one client who I've been working with for five years and recovering alcoholic, came from a really dysfunctional family. And we've been doing good psychotherapy together for five years. And we only started working with ketamine in the last four months or so. And although we've done a lot of really good work together, there were just layers we just weren't getting to. I had an intuition that that was true, and they became interested in doing some work with ketamine. And, you know, everybody, as one of my teachers likes to say, you know, we all got our ticket punched one way or another, you know. Nobody had a perfect childhood. We always got, we all got a little too much of some things and not enough of other things, and that's just the way of it. And, you know, as children, we get very creative with that mixture of how to, how to get love to stay in connection with our parents who we need. We absolutely need them. You know, even if they're harming us, we need to be in connection with them. And so there's just lots of creative ways that as children, we figure out how to to make make that all work. And for this particular client who had pretty, you know, like I said, a dysfunctional family that could be chaotic at times, kind of brutal and violent at times, their way of dealing with that situation was to really brace, get braced against everything. So having a very tight body, very tight musculature, being a a relatively stubborn person. And this was a really smart idea, you know, this is a smart idea for the, the level of chaos they lived in, right? But as they grew up into an adult, that just wasn't necessary and there's no way to get out of it. It was just, it was so locked in. It was so deep in their own um, sense of themselves. It, it just, you know, it's like a fish. It becomes the water they swim in. It's like, what do you mean water? This is just how life is, you know? And so we started working with ketamine. And as a dissociative anesthetic, ketamine sort of helps people have a, more of a bird's eye view of their, of their life, of their, of their personality. So there's just this way in which the distancing quality of that can be really supportive. And he started to sort of see some of that, started to see how he'd been braced against so much of his life. And in addition to that, I would say actually the sedating quality of the ketamine for someone like him was really important because it provided him a new experience of what it was to be in his body. Wow, I can feel this relaxed and be awake and not drunk? Like, this is amazing. It's like, yeah, this is this is available to you. And and yes, you're experiencing this on a drug. And yeah, this is just another place your nervous system can go to. And so the contrast of that was a really big deal. You know, I think so much of psychedelic therapy or really any good therapy, but it's certainly highlighted in in psychedelic work is people getting to feel a really radical contrast between who they are normally and what they're experiencing. 
it highlights what they're normally up to because normally it's just so we're so embedded in our patterns that it's hard to notice them. And so here he was feeling relaxed and with himself in a way he, as he reported in the session, like, I don't know if I've ever felt this relaxed before. He started bracing probably in toddlerhood. And so to feel, to learn what it was to have this as an option started to let his nervous system unwind a bit. And it, from there, other doors started to open in his own healing process. And He's in a very different place in his life now after going through this process. And I don't think we're done. And I, I don't think he would say we're done, but we're in a really beautiful unfolding with this work where the way he has carried his body has been very tied into his personality, which is braced, a little bit defensive, stubborn. And there's just more flexibility coming in. He's a little bit more easygoing. He's a little more trusting of uh, people in his life and of himself and his own capacities. And there's a real shift. Yeah, I think, you know, we're kind of in the middle of this sort of renaissance happening for him. And I'm, it's going to be really exciting to see where he ends up in six months and a year from now. You know, this is, there's a big shift in, in, in what his personality is, is happening. So, so it kind of, it gives you enough space from, from who you are that then you can consciously maybe a little more objectively choose differently you know I, one of my teachers likes to say we can't change what we're doing until we know what we're doing and i think psychedelic therapy is a really wonderful way to one have an experience of doing something else but in a really loud way get to feel what we're up to and as we do that we start to see around the edges of what else is possible and then as we start to get a little bit of practice of trying something new, every time we're having a, a little bit of a new experience, that's a ton of neural networking that's happening. You know, it's, that is every time that's happening, that's new neural pathways occurring. And over time, as we get to sort of stretch into those places, we're changing the brain. We're changing the way that uh, the brain's experiencing its environment. And so over time, there's just more and more flexibility. So I don't like to say choose because it's, I think it's a little more complicated than that. But I would say it's as we get to experience ourselves in, in a wider range, there is more, there's more possibility for us to, to choose new options. Yeah. That's so beautiful because life is so much of a feedback loop. And I realize the more in my own experience, the more that I open up to love, to to flexibility, to ease, to just a, a, a better quality of life with all those things overall, then I give the universe a chance to really show up for me in those ways. And then the more that I see those experiences reflected back at me, the more I trust, the more ease and the more flexibility I have. And then life just continues. So it just becomes this continuous flow. And sometimes we just need, you know, mm -hmm whether it's ayahuasca, whether it's ketamines, thing, different substances that can kind of break up that state change, especially if we're in a really deep, deep, deep depression. Because sometimes we therapy is just not enough. Meditation is just not enough. Sometimes we've really got to have something to break up those state changes in a way where we can almost put our brain on the shelf. Absolutely. You know, one way that I like to think about, about this kind of work is... I'll give you a kind of a, might seem like a random example, but 
bear with me. On with telephone lines, there's two ways to make a, a, a telephone signal go over a lot of wire, right? And the longer a, the longer a signal goes through wire, the more it diminishes. It's just you know it's sort of a law of physics, right? It just it disperses over time. And so there's two ways to deal with that. One is to lower the noise in the channel, and the other is to boost the signal, right? And I think the the same is true for consciousness. Right, so things like mindfulness is a great practice for reducing the noise, so that we can see, hear what's coming through. The other, the other way to do this is to boost the signal, right? And psychedelics are such a wonderful way of boosting the signal that we're receiving, so that we can really, so it's it's so in our face we can't escape it. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't the um. What psychedelics actually means is mind manifest, right? Mind yeah. made manifest. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm. it amplifies our experience of consciousness and, and we become more conscious of the unfolding. That's it. That's it. And I would say with all of this, you know, then once we've had a big experience of, of what is manifest here in this way, how we integrate it is such an important part of the process. It's wonderful to have big experiences, and then the real then the real work starts. In my experience, you know, then uh, once we've had that opening, we've got to we've got to start capitalizing on that and doing new practices and doing things that uh, are going to continue to help us stretch into what we've just seen and what we've been had access to. Yeah, because without the integration, which is what I guess what makes it concrete in your life. It's what allows those neural pathways to really stick. I guess exactly. it's maybe maybe we could compare it to like you can learn to to do an exercise or to play an instrument, but if you don't continue doing it, you lose some of that skill. Hundred percent. It's it's that simple, truly. <laughs> and so, like, then if you don't integrate it, I think that's when it becomes that people might be turning to the substances a little too frequently or possibly can turn into addictive patterns. Can we define integration really quick? Because I even say this all the time, how integration is super important with psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And we talk about it on the podcast. And then the other day I was trying to explain integration to someone and I'm like, I don't even have the words for it. For me, it's, mm. it's <laughs> an essence. <laughs> I don't even have the words. So I would so love to hear. <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear your definition and experience with integration and how you help your clients integrate the work. Yeah, great. I, I don't have a succinct definition that I can just pull out, but maybe I can say a few things. So to me, integration is anything that's helping you harvest the knowledge or the experience you've had with psychedelics. So with my clients, that looks like reviewing the notes that I take during the journey for them to go. So we look over them together like, oh, yeah, this happened and then that happened. And that helps sort of get their mind turning and remembering different meaningful pieces. And then we start applying those to their life, right? We start doing, so you're using this in psychotherapy, right? Of like, oh, yeah, this was this big piece that you said like, oh, I notice I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I, need, I need to really change my relationship with my mother. Yeah, big, big insight. And so e even feeding that back in in the present moment starts giving us a chance to chew on that. So I'd say 
there's the insight we're harvesting the insight gained and then we're developing a series of practices or behaviors or experiments afterwards to continue to make use of of those insights right so it's like you know if um if all we're doing is having a big experience then like we're just having big experiences and you know as power i think you know i think something that uh i take issue with is that in 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 popular culture psychedelics are talked about in just the sexiest of terms you know there's these stories of people having one big mushroom journey or something or one big ayahuasca experience and all of a sudden you know their heroin addiction is cured or they're they're no longer an anxious person and by by all means those kind of things are possible and do happen but more so what what happens for people is that you know they it's even with with psychedelics healing is is a, an incremental journey we're all so complex you know we all have we're, we're such complex nuanced beings there's just no way one six hour or whatever journey is going to just help us you know stick the landing on how we suffer as human beings you know we're just more complicated than that and so integration is about having a curiosity about your own unfolding maybe that's what i'd like to say it's a curiosity about okay so this is what i found out and here are the discrete the handful of discrete things i'm going to do to start participating in a new way with myself Mm. It almost what comes up for me it's like having a relationship with all of the insights that came to you after during your session and then in a, and also like you do in a relationship really giving love to those insights every day and being conscious of those insights and and what is a word I'm trying to use like make it concrete Concret no like uh oh the word is leaving me it's okay feeding those insights I'll just say that for now nourishing that, nourishing like nourishing the relationship there you go Love nourishing that. the insights yeah. so they don't fly to the back of your mind because i remember i did my the 10 day vipassana retreat which was amazing amazing and i swear like i was reborn at the end of that and i was entirely sure i remember i came home and i was like dad i am reborn mom i am reborn like music sounds different the birds are like like i, I really felt like that and then i would say maybe a month or two months later I was, you know, it's a little bit is still inside of me, but it was not the same feelings that I was feeling for those first two months. And then when I did ayahuasca, I remember it being such a life changing experience for me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm reborn. Oh my God, mom, dad. I literally just felt like a brand new human. And then I remember thinking, this will not happen to me again, what happened with Vipassana. I will not let this one mm -hmm. drizzle out. And, and I really, really sat there and I wrote down everything that I saw and I spoke to Paula, my in-house therapist, and I did everything I could to really keep all of those insights and new levels of consciousness in my back pocket. And I did ayahuasca like two and a half years ago, something like that. And it's still, I mean, I still feel reborn. So the integration for me is like you said, everything it's essential. It's the medicine that you continue to take after you've taken yeah. the medicine. Yeah, absolutely. I'm impressed that you felt reborn for two, one to two months after your meditation, that it wasn't gone in three hours. 
You know, it's like <laughs> that's always my experience <laughs> with meditation retreat. It feels so good. Uh, I remember. I remember I went to the second Vipassana retreat I went on with a with a couple friends and and he like he left the meditation retreat and went straight to the gas station and bought a pack of cigarettes. I was like, wait, what just happened? I thought we did something here. You know what it is? When I God, I remember that Vipassana retreat was like I mean, people on the podcast have heard me. I was going crazy. At one point, I even had to pluck all of the hairs on my body because I needed something to do. Like, I literally was going crazy at the mm -hmm. level of stillness that they were making me have. And it wasn't until day seven that I finally broke over the ledge. So it was like probably like the amount of pain that I felt in those first six days allowed me to hold on to that peace for the next two months. You know, and it's... it's, it's what you're describing is, is such a significant experience, right? Of like, and I, I've experienced this as, as well on meditation retreats, you know, when we, when we, we really, that kind of time, that kind of schedule can be so helpful for seeing, for help showing us right, just how we, we white knuckle our existence subtly. Right. And that this will just turn the heat up on that. And we can only take that so far before it just has to pop. And uh, I know in my own life, those experiences where I've had the pop or it's just broken through of um, my own experiences of white knuckling or all of a sudden I'm not white knuckling it and I'm still alive and things are still okay. And in fact, there's uh, an immense experience of peace and well-being. It, it's, a, it's such a, a my, my deep prayer is for everyone to have experiences of that because it's such an important way of, of learning so much about yourself. And I do think, I do think having that is a life-changing experience. It really is. You know, what insight came for me today on my run. I was thinking about how for the first, I don't know, 25 years of my life, I was feeding, I saw happiness as the next role that I was going to have in my job, how much I got done in a, day, in a day, how much I could accomplish. To me, like that was everything and the things I could gain from that and that linear timeline. That to me was what I, the work I put in. I put so much work into that school, college, grades, all those things. And then I think it really started with when I did ayahuasca. After that, I, I really slowed down. I really started to slow down and, and question everything to an, another degree and realize, and, and I started cultivating those ex, experiences of self-love, experiences of coming back home to myself, experiences that would align me to the highest version of who I knew I was. And the more quote unquote work that I put into those experiences, the more just I can see the illusion of that other life I was trying to live for so long. And in my prayer to everyone is that they, people who are stuck in the nine to fives that they hate or in any kind of relationships or anything that they hate is that you, you know, the, the real work that's going to get you to that dream life that you're going to have is all of these self love practices that can take you back home and help you experience heaven, mm -hmm. heaven on earth now. And when you are so aligned to yourself and so aligned to the light, aligned to the life that you came here to live, everything else just falls away. The timeline falls away. The goals that you once thought you wanted, they, they fall away. It's mm -hmm. the goal is now to feel alive.
alive, like truly, truly, truly alive. Yes. A hundred percent. You know, I remember being on a, a meditation retreat and we, we still haven't talked about my path and happy to say some things about that at some point. But I remember being on a meditation retreat some years ago uh, and a big part of my bat, my path has been a, a Buddhist practice. And we a teacher saying, this is classically Buddhist. And what you just said to me seems very easy to fit into a Buddhist framework. It's a very Buddhist way of understanding existence. You know, what, what, what did she say? She said, like, oh, yeah, like, we're always three purchases away from total happiness. You know, it's just like, <laughs> like, it's always on the horizon. It's always seems real close, but just out of reach, you know, and uh, it, it seems to be uh, and certainly what lots of spiritual traditions would point to not just the buddhist but that you know life is never just 10 out of 10 for all aspects of our life you know it's like things are constantly in flux how could they not be that's just the nature of it and so uh if if our life is a project of trying to get everything to 10 out of 10 uh we're always going to be deeply disappointed we're always going to be suffering we're always going to be negotiating and struggling with our existence. And that so much of this, so much of the practice that you're describing, and I think, again, I would say this is sort of a distillation of spiritual practice from many traditions, right, is that it's not about adding more, it's about being less, right? It's about removing more of the, the, the extra complications we've added, you know, and Certainly there's the external ones, but so much of it's the, the internal ones. You know, I can think about, you know, all the times in my life where I've been really self-aggressive and thought I've had to be a certain way in order to be okay. You know, the ways we can be so self-critical with ourselves. And so much of what I see as the path of healing and awakening is being one of deep, deep acceptance into what's, what's actually happening, right? And that as that happens, we don't need you know, even happiness itself becomes a, a bit narrow of a term. I would say we think of like, I want to have be feel joy all the time. It's like, well, that's not realistic. You know, I don't think for any of us. And I think actually like, I'd like to feel vividly here for whatever's up. I'd like to be a yes to whatever's here. I'd like to not be in resistance to my experience. And that's a much deeper, deeper joy that's a deeper experience of, of what it is to be human, to be just a full yes to our sorrow, a full yes to our grief, to our passion, to our boredom, to all of it, right? The more we can allow ourselves to just not be in negotiation, the more we can feel our full humanity, the more we can uh, see what's wanting to happen. You know, how is, how is spirit, how is the universe, how is grace, how is that being invited to move us, right? That we can be in service of that then and not our own sort of small conception of happiness. Yes. Yeah, that's Fully. so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Fully. That's so true. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I say every day when I wake up, like over and over and over again, I am like, yes to life, yes to life, yes to life, yes to life, whatever is coming, yes to life. And I've had so many experiences now where there will be something that's quote unquote sad or hard or no, no, it is sad and hard and all these things, but there's this love for it because it's just, this is for, this is for my human. This is for her. 
it's all love. It's all in love. And I've never been someone who I've never cried from happiness or like sometimes I'll, my friends will cry when their friends cry. And I'm like, that's so beautiful. I'm not like that. I don't really cry that much. And this actually happened today where I, I keep doing all of these yes to life practices and these love practices. And today I was in this, in this course and this woman, she mm-hmm. was recounting something really sad in her life and she started crying and I started bawling with her and just, I could feel my heart just like cracking open. And it was because of this growth, this love wrapped around the growth that was wrapped around the pain that she was speaking about. And like, that is, that is life. That is love. That is truly being here and the illusion, you know, and, and that can be joy. There can be joy in that. I think a lot of people think joy is like this one emotion of like, everything's perfect in one way. And it's like, can we pivot a little bit to see that everything is perfect, but yeah. maybe not in the way that you thought yeah. it was going to be. Yeah. Beautiful. Like what a, yeah. It's lovely to hear about. I noticed my, my heart feeling sort of softened and more tender just hearing about your experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I think, um, so many of us cut ourselves off from feeling very, very early on, uh, because we've inherited, we're all, we're all, everyone that's here is the inheritor of so much trauma of the human species. And so the adults that came before us were also that. And for most people, I've yet to meet the exception when they showed strong emotions or any kind of difficulty, their their parents didn't have the skills either to sit with those emotions. And like you were saying in the beginning, Pierre, that there's so many creative solutions that we come up with for being able to still keep our parents love. And, you know, I've worked with clients that, for example, one way to do that is to pretend everything is perfectly okay all the time because they didn't like seeing their parents upset. And that cuts us off from feeling. And with psychedelics, even, you know, with meditation, we go internally so much to the extent that like we eventually pop, like, but it, uh, it's all about this accumulation of being able to arrive at that place Mm. where feeling Mm -hmm. is okay. And when we can experience that feeling in safe containers, you start to witness the love and the aliveness that's there in every single emotion. And I think we're actually all so, our society Mm. is actually so desperate to feel, you know, like we do so much numbing um, so much distraction, but all that is because we're always like, we're always right above. We're always trying to just stay right above, right above, right above where that feeling is. And in these practices that we've been talking about today, yeah. get yeah. you in it. They put you in it and no more running. And then you're like, oh my God, this is what being alive is. I mean, I felt this yesterday. I started going to ecstatic dance, which is cool that this is starting to happen in Atlanta. And um, so I went to an ecstatic in both times that I've done it, I've cried. And I'm like, what? Like, I've never cried from dancing. <laughs> what is happening? And it's because in these spaces, there is permission to be as wild and as free and as animal as you can possibly let yourself be. And I can just witness how everybody there that's willing to show up 
it's just you can see how wild the human animal being actually is and wants to be but has learned to suppress itself in order to keep community and so everyone is half alive walking around and you know i i was talking about this in the last podcast where i was in a yoga session like deep in it and i was like well what if what if what i experience sometimes isn't so much anxiety as it is me trying to keep my power in you know keep all that energy in what if we could just release it and it's like I could feel that yesterday in dance, especially like at the very end. <laughs> it was it, you feel like you're five years old, and everybody is just like at recess doing as many cartwheels as they can possibly muster. <laughs> and we get to the very end, and literally the person was like, "Everybody howl!" And like the whole entire field was just howling like wolves. <laughs> and there was this dog there that also started howling with us. And at the end of all that, I mean, you're cracking up, you're crying, you're so free. And it's like, oh, that's the medicine. Like, mm -hmm. maybe actually we just need to be able to feel in a container of love. And that's it. Permission, 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 permission. You know, we've all had really good reasons to not do what you're just talking about. I think that's something I really want to point out to all of your listeners and something I point out to all my clients regularly, right? It's like, you had a really good reason not to do that because we can be so aggressive with ourselves for not doing it. Like we had really good reasons to, you know, the stakes were so high when we were kids not to do that. And so it's, there's a deep primal resistance in us, you know, and uh, that does that becomes the place where we get to work, we get to explore, we get to see what ways of opening uh, inspire us to make our own life a work of art, you know. And it, it so much of the healing journey to me is about right creating more of a sense of permission and realizing that now we're the grown up, we're the one who can look after that little wounded wounded that little one who was scared and wounded it's our responsibility you know and we and and that we actually have the power and the wherewithal and the lovingness to do so and that that's that's such a massive part of the healing journey is to learning to be so loving with our scared little ones so that we can so fully express and let ourselves just be the apes in cotton that we are you know to just really let it get to let it get wild. Uh, I know for me, aliveness is that's the name of the game. That's uh, when I'm doing things that help me feel really fully alive. There's just nothing better, and it's taken a lot of work to get to that. It's taken a lot of takes years, takes years, and there's so many un, layers of unfolding to to deepen into that. And this is, you know, like I said a little earlier, I mean, I think this is what's so beautiful, right? Is it's like, if your goal is more aliveness, that can happen in almost an infinite number of ways, you know? And that's where it's, you know, I'm, whether it's integration or psychotherapy in general, I'm just so excited to help my clients see what's, what life is asking of them. You know, like what does capital L life want from them? How is it, how is life, itself wanting to express through this unique human being is it to learn an instrument is it to start dancing is it to develop you know learning tantric sexual practices is it 
anything, you know, it's just anything, anything. It's like, what's, what's the, as Jung would say, the next most necessary thing, you know, we must always be willing to do the next most necessary thing. And that's where it's like, yeah, we're, this is a, this is an act of service. We're in service to something much greater than ourselves. And we're letting that come through this unique human being, psyche, body. Yes, fully. Mm-hmm. I would, as we're, gosh, I would be so sad if we got through this whole podcast and we did not hear about your journey up to now. So <laughs> can we dive into that? Sure. Yeah. There's many ways to tell it, but I would say a really important thing that, to, to, that started this was, um, was the suffering. Um, I lost my, my father really unexpectedly when I was 13. And he, he and I were really close. We had a really loving relationship and he died of a heart attack really unexpectedly. And as an anxious and grieving teenager, I found Buddhism. I found the Dharma (laughs) and I found it through the movie little Buddha, which is a really beautiful story, but it's key on it's the story. It's the story of the Buddha and this little boy who's a reincarnate Tibetan Lama. And so half of the story is, it's, you know, this takes place in the nineties and half the story is about this little boy and going to Tibet and, and that process. And then the other half is the story of the Buddha, the Buddha's awakening. And it's the Buddha is played by a young Keanu Reeves. And I, I totally recommend seeing it for any of your audience, anyone in your audience, but I just remember, you know, being so moved by the story of the, 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 myth, the mythology of the Buddha. Like here was this guy who was totally unruffled by the vicissitudes of life. And I was just, you know, this anxious, grieving teenager. I was like that, I want that, I'm all in, I don't care, I need that. And so I just, I threw myself at the Buddha Dharma for a long time. You know, I started meditating in college. I studied psychology and Buddhist studies. I had the good fortune to go on an abroad program to India and study do Buddhist studies in Bodh Gaya, where the Buddha became the Buddha. Uh, and really, I took that very seriously in my early 20s. Uh, I did a number of meditation retreats in the, so the insight meditation, Theravadan style. A little different from like Goenka's Vipassana, but related. And from there, I just started exploring other things as well. I started learning more about men's work. I started learning more about sexuality. I started also exploring, you know, sustainable, uh, sustainable food production and a number of other things. It was, you know, I was getting to do that wonderful thing you can do in your early 20s without too much trouble, which is just throw yourself at anything, (laughs) which I was doing and loving. And after a few years of that, I got really clear that I wanted to go back to grad school for counseling. And I applied and got into Naropa University, which is a Buddhist university. And so was able to start learning this very contemplative style of psychotherapy. And from there, I started learning about somatic work and somatic trauma work, which I remember seeing a video of, and it looked kind of extreme and intense. I was like, I like extreme and intense. Let's go toward this. It certainly doesn't have to be, but that was, that was just my, my little bit of exposure to it. And, you know, uh, Throughout those early years, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd experimented with mushrooms a couple of times, but it had always been a really intense experience. And I always felt like I learned a lot, but it was always like kind of overwhelming. And so it wasn't like a big part of my life. It wasn't 
a big part of what was going on. And I graduated from grad school eight years ago. And before, you know, in 2010 to 2013, when I was in graduate school, like we weren't talking about psychedelics, you know, it was, it was still a little bit, you know, off to the side. And after graduate school, um, yeah, like a, a friend and roommate introduced me to MDMA and I got to, had the experience of, of uh, what that was like, just, you know, you know, not, not in a therapeutic setting, but being in the, you know, just a dear friend and I in the living room and was just utterly blown away by, by this thing that I thought was some crazy party drug. And I don't know if I've ever felt more sane and lucid you know, than, than on MDMA in that way. And I had the just absurd good fortune that the person I was learning somatic trauma work from was one of the lead clinicians in phase two of the MDMA study that was being undertaken here in Boulder. And so I remember hearing from him just, wow, utterly blown away with the results he was, he was witnessing in this study from MDMA. And around that time, he also started working with ketamine. And so uh, I did an apprenticeship with him around ketamine, where a guy got to be a client of his working with ketamine. And after a period of time doing that, I started offering it in my clinical practice and have had to have had a relationship with ketamine myself, which is, I think, a really important part of, of being a psychedelic therapist is getting to you have to know the medicine from the inside. Um, if you're going to guide other people, that's just a, it's an ethical responsibility. And so, you know, I'm very lucky where I am now, where uh, there are other ketamine therapists in my area and some of whom I've trained and others who have trained with me and we're able to trade sessions with each other and I get to have an ongoing relationship with ketamine. Um, over the years, I've also developed a really lovely relationship with with psilocybin uh, and I've had a chance to sort of work with guides in um, legal contexts where I'm getting to just be by guided by people who've had really a lot of experience and uh, it's been um, an extremely important part of my development I would say it's it you know it's hard to tease any of these pieces out you know it's like 20 years of meditation practice uh, on top of the psychedelics on top of learning breath work and dance and martial arts, you know, everything comes together. I'd say, you know, the beautiful thing about the healing journey is that just really at some point, everything we've done just gets folded into the dough of what we're making. And so uh, it's almost like, I don't know if I can, I'd have to include my entire life into the journey to really speak to it sufficiently, but yeah, everything folds in. For me, a decade of martial arts practice has been part of that as well. And learning more about sort of conscious sexuality practice has been all beautiful part of this. And really, I mean, sort of like we were speaking to, all of these are just ways of talking about getting to develop different areas of aliveness. And so th- those, are, those are at least some of the ones that I've, I've had the pleasure of exploring at this point in my life. Wow. That is a journey. It really is. And feel free to say no, either of you, because I don't know what your time looks like, but I would love if we could just jump in a little bit to into your conscious sexuality experience and the learnings and the insights that you've gotten from that. And yeah. 
So, I mean, first off, I'd like to say I am by no means an expert in that. And there are plenty of wonderful experts from who should probably listen to more than me from, from that. But I'm happy to speak from my own experience around that. So uh, in my sense, you know, so much of what we learn about sexuality is really minimal. It's, it's really, it's such a small version of what's possible for any of us. You know, I think so many men learn about sexuality and, and what, what sex should look like from porn. We, you know, we, we see, you know, what the messages are for women in the culture around how they're supposed to behave. We all get so many messages about what sex is and we get just no training on what, what else it could be. And so in my experience, conscious sexuality is a massive universe of learning of what it is to be maybe more pleasure focused than orgasm focused. Like, what is it, what is it if we, if, if the goal of sex is actually much more about one or two or more people having a vivid, full experience together, then that's a very different, that's a very different way of being than, um, hunting for an orgasm. And so part of that is, it seems like it's just a, a, a philosophy, right? Of like, what is it if we take, if we don't become goal, if we stop having a goal here, you know, and then part of that is then this huge array of practices that help us learn how to do that from, you know, embodiment practices and breathing practices that sort of help us allow more sexual energy to run in our bodies without, well, being able to be present to it. That's maybe more particularly in the world of Tantra. I guess what I can say, so, I mean, that's like a very sort of vague <laughs> amateur hour description probably of what conscious sexuality is. But uh, I would say from my own experience, I came, I came learning about sexuality from porn like many, like many men and had this strong sense of what I was supposed to do sexually and the over the years of exploring this, I, I would say there's just been less of a sense of pressure and more of a sense of like actually having more curiosity and more more of a more capacity for presence. And as that happens, I mean, I can only speak for, you know, my own male biology, but it seems it seems like a common experience where that, you know, as you learn how to have more sensation in your body without it needing to go anywhere. This is where, you know, this is the realm of sort of full body orgasms and, you know, some of these, you know, more expanded states are possible. And in this way, I think there's, there's a lot of overlap between that and psychedelics. I mean, we're talking about how do you tolerate a wide, intense degree of vividness? And so that's a, that's for me has been a really vivid, alive, life affirming exploration. I'm, I'm by no means a master of anything here, but I'm more than enjoying the process of opening into more presence and more curiosity and seeing what, I say in any moment here, seeing what wants to happen next as opposed to trying to force anything to happen. Yes. I love that so much. And this is why I wanted to speak about it because I was the other day thinking about my own experiences in my life and for how such a long time it really was performance-based and are you going to get an orgasm or not? And I started, I got really conscious about my own sexuality and it just hit me yeah. that I've, I had a lot of sex that I did not want to have. I were, I was in a lot of sexual experiences that I did not want. I was the one 
you know, I was never forced, but I was the one who always allowed them in. And I, I had a lot of sadness in my body because I was disrespecting my body in a way that I didn't even know. And the more conscious I became of my body and breath work helped a lot with this, you know, getting, getting into my body and using my body as a portal and really listening to the wisdom that she holds for me. I realized that sex, exactly like you just said, is almost, it's like psychedelics if you allow it to be, if you go into it in a really conscious way with a person who, you know, is really conscious as well, at least for me, you know, that really makes a difference. You can cultivate this experience that it does not matter whether it's orgasmic or not. It does not matter all mm-hmm. of the things that they told us about sex kind of fl- fall away. And it, it it is within that experience, you have the potential to dive into a portal of being so in your body that it, that as well becomes medicine. That as well becomes another part of your healing journey. And yeah, yeah, it's it's really beautiful. The how, you know, I think sex can either be something that you think you have to do and it can still feel good or something that can be part of your consciousness practice and it can wake you up to yourself even more. Truly, truly, you know, that's right. When, when we, when we let go of uh, those scripts, all we're left with is exploring in the present moment. And that's a, that's big, that's open. And that could look anyway you know maybe it'll be blissful and ecstatic maybe it's actually like maybe there's actually a lot of like fear you know like what if you got to bring your your worry to your sex what if you got to bring your my my personal case like relationship claustrophobia to sex what if you could you know what it's like what if you can bring that to the experience and 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 be a yes to that you know i would say that for myself a little bit differently learning to open to pleasure in this way it's like man i enjoy coffee more i enjoy food more i find myself you know part of this you know part of these like breaking down these scripts in in my own experience and i know for many other people that i know have been through this journey is like actually like giving permission to be more vocal right and to be less scripted and less uh polite you know Sex isn't polite. It shouldn't be, you know, we're, we are animals. Like what if you let in the same way as Paula was saying about the ecstatic dance, it's sort of like if we can allow ourselves to have some more of that, you know, I, I've, I've found that lovemaking is almost a state of state of mind that is as much as it is an action, you know, it's like, I can be walking down the street, just feeling like I'm making love with phenomena feeling, you know, just feeling just the array of vivid life happening around and the feeling that meeting me, I'm meeting that with my own consciousness. And we're having just a play in that moment of just meeting life itself in this dance of receiving and giving. And then all of a sudden your entire life is lovemaking on that level. Fully. Yeah. Thank you. So. Yeah. Yeah. It matters. I, I think it, it's such a, a palate cleanser to hear well, all the genders, you know, talk about conscious sexuality for sure. That's, that's a whole, I mean, that's a whole nother thing to unravel. Talk about being afraid of 
of our animal side. And it's like sexuality is probably the number one place yeah. where that started becoming controlled and tamed. I was thinking about this yesterday when I when I was dancing, like one of the most potent moments that I had was just like, whoa, like it's wild that I'm out here moving my body like this in public <laughs> however I want to. And I come from a lineage of generations of women that have been oppressed and controlled. And I would say in, in the Latin community, it's like you're shamed while simultaneously exalted for your sexuality. So confusing. <laughs> so confusing. Yeah. yeah. So it's like yeah. you have to be sexy and sexual, but like don't show it. But but you are, but like you're not. So like it better be under control, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and An impossible standard. Im absolutely yeah. impossible. And just being able to dance yesterday again, it's like. I guess, you know, all these practices just take us there where it's like, well, we just, we're just animals that happen to have a high degree of consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> and if we can embrace that, I mean, how could that not be healing? How could the sexual energy, which is like the life force, it's what creates life. How could being able to tap into that consciously without all the layers of shameful narrative impossible standards like without all that bs how could that not be absolutely life affirming truly 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 yes okay so before we officially close up we would love to ask mm. you what we ask all of our guests which is what does mental health mean for you right now like your definition of mental health like right now yeah because I, I we find that that's something that kind of you know it shifts over time different seasons um this is such a fun question i think i'm gonna have to kind of go big picture here and just say i think mental health is having a loving curiosity about yourself and participating with that from there hmm. i love that Yes, that's perfect. And I can relate to that deeply, deeply. Million percent, million percent. And the other thing that we like to do is guess zodiac signs. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> I forgot about this. Okay. I'm, I'm going to take my, can we guess? Can yeah. we play this game? Paula, you guess it, but Pierre, if she gets it right or wrong, give no indication because I want to go as well. Okay. Stone face. Here we go. Oh, shit. <laughs> Okay, my guess is Leo. Damn, that's pretty good. Are you a Leo? It's your turn. Is that, is that, is that, is that Valentina, your... you? That was... <laughs> this, is the, this is you never wanting to be wrong on this, but. I'm an Aries. I'm an Aries. You were, you were on a roll for a while there. I think, I think you should go for it. You know, this one's interesting because you're, you have such a calm demeanor and then at the same time, I see how able you're tap you're I see how you're able to tap into the rawness of your spirit as well. So I'm just processing out loud. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go with Leo. I, I don't yeah. I, I'm, uh, so that, that's that's fun. Yeah. Uh, Leo rising. Oh ah, 
Okay, that's how you show up. All right. Yeah. Amazing. So nice. nice. Okay, nice what's the Okay. Should uh, we guess should we try to guess the the other one? What's your what's your so yeah, I'm no, that's the rawness of your of how I can like uh-huh. that I can feel from you. That's the the Leo. I agree with yeah. the, the Leo. And then like the very calm one, the Buddhist may just be the Buddhist accumulation that you have in your body may be fucking me up. This one <laughs> the Buddhist accumulation. Yeah. I think what, the other you, the what? other thing that popped into my head the other one that popped into my head was Virgo. Ooh. I don't see that. No, the earthiness. All right. Well, I mean, I one for one. I'm sticking to my to my win. All right. What's <laughs> what's 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 your sun sign? Um, Sagittarius. Oh, ah, so we got the fire. We got the fire. Oh. We no. got the fire. <laughs> Amazing. Do you know your moon? Yeah, uh, Scorpio. Me too. <gasps> I All wanted right. to say Scorpio somewhere in there. How fun. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to. Scorpio was the other one. Oh, damn it, I should have trusted myself. We're both fire, sun signs, and Scorpio moons. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Leo. I'm oh, a Leo cool. sun. Yeah. And see how cancer, we're all, we're all so. vibing here. Uh-huh. Vibe party. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Pierre. That was an amazing conversation. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. How can everyone find you? Uh, right now, the best way to find me is on Instagram, uh, Pierre Bouchard LPC. Okay, perfect. And we will add that to our show notes so everyone can access you quickly. And yeah, we will give you a little ping when this this podcast comes out, which is next Monday. So. Okay. Yay. Awesome. Yay. Thank you so much, Pierre. Have an amazing day. All right. Yeah. You too. Take care. You hey, too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that amazing soul nourishing conversation with Pierre. Woo. That was so awesome. So deep, so dynamic. I feel so honored that we get to have such that this podcast platform has given us the opportunity to have conversations with such incredible people all over, you know, the world, the country. It's amazing. I was thinking the exact same thing. The exact same thing. It's amazing. This podcast platform is a blessing. And that conversation was so dynamic. So dynamic. I feel like we covered some really beautiful, substantial topics in, in one dive. So that felt super rich. What a blessing. (laughs) Don't forget to tune in with us Mondays at 6am EST. Tea. We love you guys with our whole souls. Remember that every single part of you is welcome here. The part that howls, the part that cries, the part that cheers, the part that gets angry, all of them. All of them. <laughs> you know what's so funny? The other day I was, I did it, we pulled an all-nighter this past weekend, me and a few friends. And this is going to sound like the most LA shit ever, but it's real. We pulled an all-nighter and it was the most magical, beautiful night of dancing and just a whole bunch of loving, conscious humans around me. And then we went to go watch the sunrise in some like random parking lot at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. And we all held hands 
and did a mini little breathwork session together. And I started the the breathwork session. And then we had one of the guys who was in the group is a meditation teacher. So then he guided us. He went in and guided us in a little bit of a meditation. And then another guy in the group is just this beautifully loving, open, conscious man. And he guided us in doing a collective arm together. And we're in the middle of this parking lot, breathing like... <laughs> And then this other guy jumps in and guides us in a meditation. And then this other guy, he's like, and we'll, let's do three collective alms and we're all holding hands. And as we're doing it, I'm totally in it because I believe in this stuff fully, right? Like I, it makes, it's just such a moment of connection. I believe it. And at the same time, I'm like cracking the fuck up in my head because I'm like, this is the most LA shit ever, ever. And I could just, just, it was funny. That's but hilarious. This, your howling story just reminded me of that. Do you do you think I could um, pull off something like that with my friends? Here in Hell no! That's literally why I was laughing because I was like, uh, I mean, no, you know, what? I'm not gonna say. Well, I don't know. Uh, you never T- tell know. Me the, tell you never me know. the group of friends. But I was just imagining like telling Sebastian that our brother, who is like, just hey, he's fun of literally he's such everything. an interesting person because he he'll do it all but he's got to make fun of it first but he'll do it all yeah your howlingness reminded me of that dude that howl was legendary the dog highly... literally the dog started howling with us it like it didn't the dog was like what the fuck is going on here like so it was like oh like this is great this is this is awesome I love howling. If you guys have not howled, I highly recommend you do it either by yourself or someone that you just love playing with and feel safe with and just go howl at the moon because it really is such a release. And it's funny, all this stuff, all these things that we do, these little practices like ecstatic dance and collective (laughs) arming, like they're hilarious. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. And at the same time, like so real though, (laughs) like like, really real. You go from like just cracking up entirely to crying at the beauty of it. It's just, it's, it's wild. All right, you guys. Los queremos mucho. Thank you for being on this journey with us. Take care of yourselves out there. Peace.